This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We are back for 2022. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. G'day, Adam. Isn't it good to be back? Certainly is. Uh, Look, if you're new to the the show, basically we try to give you something interesting to talk about with your friends besides COVID. Um, I don't know about you, Thomas. I'm so sick of talking about COVID, let alone COVID itself, but I feel like it's all that we talk about at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, I meet someone new, and the first thing we do is, like, discuss the current COVID situation, so... I'm sick of it. I've even resorted to like asking people boring questions like what you do for a job just to avoid talking about COVID. But then they tell me that they're working from home now because of COVID. Um, so, let's, so let's have no COVID. COVID-free zone if we can, Thomas. Yeah, it's not having much bearing on markets at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we could shine a light on some of the other reasons that the markets might be down. That's, that's your job. Anyway, welcome back for 2022. It really is great to have your company and we do thank you for your support. Uh, a lot to get through in the first show back, as you can imagine. We've had some time off. We've been crunching the numbers, Thomas, have we? Is that what we've been doing? Uh, so we've got a lot to get through. We're going to have uh, an Aussie economics data wrap, uh, a wrap which unfortunately does not include fat beats and rhymes, but instead inflation and jobs data. Uh, we'll take a look at how West Farmers being bloody massive has helped them during the downturn uh we're going to check in with china because apparently they might still have a problem or two to solve and there's a group of billionaires thomas who are asking to be taxed more Hmm. apparently they've decided they could afford to pay maybe more than zero tax so good on them (laughs) uh but first thomas look we did take a few weeks off and now the world is on fire so, is it just that we've been away, or is there something else possibly dragging down the markets? Yeah, didn't didn't they go to shit over the break? <laughs> <laughs> Went camping, and then yeah, it, t- it turned quickly. Like there was a there was a real sudden U turn in the sentiment. Well, it felt slow, but it, in hindsight, was really quick. Mm. Like I didn't notice. Like I well, I noticed my shares kind of just being eaten away. A little bit more each day but it wasn't like the covid crash of 2020 where it just kind of fell off a cliff mm-hmm. but i think in hindsight it might look a bit like that but it didn't i didn't I, I mean i must admit i wasn't i wasn't probably paying enough attention over the break but it didn't feel like there was this big crash it just all of a sudden i sort of woke up you know in january and went 
where's all my money gone? <laughs> I, th- I think I think because you've lived through COVID or you're paying attention through COVID, mm. which is one of the worst downturns in history. Yeah, you have an I- overinflated idea of what a what a crash or what a downturn actually looks like. Yeah, it's much more <laughs> like what we've just experienced. Is is, is sort of your, your your average downturn, and it's not clear that we're done yet. Right. Yeah. So markets seem to peak in the first week of January, and yeah, and there were. It was it was a sudden shift in the narrative, and there were a few data points that that really caused that shift. The first was the inflation data out of the U.S., and that that came in at seven percent annualized, so annual year on year, which is a very high rate of inflation. You think that you know RBA's got a target band two to three percent, Fed's around like two and a half percent around that mark, so it's well over what the Fed is comfortable with, uh, and we got there much quicker than people were expecting. Yeah, we went went from a, a a situation where the markets were pretty relaxed about the Fed's tightening cycle to one where they expected it to be very rapid. The Fed met uh, last week and didn't hike rates, so that the meeting was live. They thought they might, but they didn't. But uh, Powell's now saying it's definitely on the cards. We'll probably have a hike in March and then up to five or six further rate hikes this year. So, yeah, so there has been a pivot in in the outlook and, and particularly the Fed's tightening cycle. And that sort of seemed to bring about the idea that the, the bull run that was caused by all the COVID stimulus, by record low interest rates, uh, massive government spending, that was now done. And, and then that's caused a bit of a sell-off. Maybe there's a bit of people taking profits at that point saying, yep, look, well, all, all the stimulus is done. We're, we're, the tide's going out. It's time to take some money off the table. Or people just panicking a bit. So the stimulus was the the, the quantitative easing, the money printing that mm. we saw that happened throughout COVID and and sort of seemingly well after it as well. Mm. Um, so that's all the that's all the stimulus that was that was being pumped in, and now they're turning the tap off. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So yeah, raising rates and starting to quantitative tightening. I think at the, at the moment they're still printing money, right? And they will keep doing that for a little while, but they'll start hiking rates. And, yeah, starting to wind back the money printing. Because some people, Thomas, did say with quantitative easing and money printing that that might bring about inflation. Mm. And a lot of people, a lot of other people said, nah, nah, we're we're on it this time. (laughs) And now everyone's talking about inflation going through the roof. Yeah, well, it is. It is. Mm. But, I mean, it's it's still an open question. It's not not entirely settled. (laughs) Still. Um, but it's, it's, it's an open question as to whether that inflation is coming from too much money in the system mm. or whether it's coming through the supply chain disruptions, which are still constipated across the world thanks to, thanks to COVID. So, yeah, yeah so, so supply costs are rising. And so it's, it's still a question about whether that is temporary or permanent. It now seems to be shifting, at least in the Fed's mind, to being something more permanent and something that they're going to have to do something about. Mm. But you, I think that's that's sort of they need to they need to be a bit preemptive because they don't want inflation expectations to lock in, which then drives wage gains, which creates that sort of inflationary spiral. So they don't want they don't want that to set in. So they now need to get ahead of the curve, and I think they're feeling that they're where they're at right now is just too far behind the curve. And so, what does this mean for Australia? So Australia is going to follow the US's lead. I mean, inflation's not seven percent in australia yet no but it is it is ahead of schedule so yeah headline inflation in australia yeah came in at three and a half percent which was way over what people are expecting that the trimmed mean which is sort of the measure of underlying inflation that that the rba focuses on that was at 2.6 percent so that's sort of now over halfway into their their target band Mm. um 
But sort of importantly, like the two things there, so they, the RBA publishes their forecast. They didn't forecast inflation getting to 2.6% until two years from now. Mm. I'm disappointed in Phil Lowe. Oh. I'm going to put it out there. Mm. You heard it first on this podcast. He he said, nah, this is, we're not raising rates till 2024. And we talked about it on the show, how everyone was like, nah, you definitely will. And he was like, I don't know why you don't believe me, but <laughs> mm. we're not going to do it. And here we are. Surely we're going to, he's going to raise rates before 2024 now. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting. So markets are now putting 100% probability of getting a rate hike by June. <laughs> at least one by june they're so non-committal these people (laughs) really they've gone with a hundred percent probability like can't we just say it's definitely going to happen do we still have to talk about probability when we're talking about a hundred percent uh yeah i mean yeah you can sort of you can you can back out probabilities from from where the money markets are at so it's Mm -hmm. rising and gets to a hundred percent around june that's sort of right. something you can do in economics. But yeah, we're getting to markets here locked in by June. Mm. The RBA meets, so we're releasing this on Wednesday. The RBA will have met yesterday. It's probably not likely that they hiked yesterday, but it is pro- most likely that they ended their money printing uh, program yesterday. That seems to be the seems to be the view. It'll be surprising if they don't, given given where we're at, because we are mm. we're two years ahead of schedule on inflation, unemployment. We also got out during the uh, last week or the week before. That came in at four point two percent. That's that's a very low number, very strong number. Again, mm. a year ahead of schedule where that's supposed to be. So it does now seem that the RBA's forecasts are well behind the curve as well. Um, and the RBA is going to have to bring forward that tightening cycle. So the, the key, the key one to data point to watch um, next month will be the wages, because RBA has said for a while now that that it, their plan to hike rates really swings on whether you get wages growth above three percent. And kind of the way that wages are set in Australia with our award system, and that it tends to be a, wages tend to be a bit sticky here, so they don't immediately jump when inflation jumps. Mm. But that'll be the one to watch. That'll be. If, if we get a strong wages print next month, then, yeah, then it could be on for young and old with rate hikes this year. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm still not convinced it's this year. But Right. But it's 20, 2022. He said it's not going to happen until 2024. Yeah. It's not this year. It's definitely not 2024 anymore, I don't think. I There's think a thousand with... percent probability <laughs> it'll be next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and just quickly on the housing market then, is mm. the is is the housing market going to burst next? That's been on a tear. There has been house, house price growth does seem to be slowing. We ended the year up twenty five percent year on year, something right. like that mark um, in twenty twenty one, which is a huge. You know that's that's really strong growth. Yeah, um, a lot of that has come through record low rates. Um, fixed rates are already rising, so fixed rates through the RBAs term funding facility they they went super low like into the ones one mm. point somethings um so you could you could get a rate like that They're, those fixed rates are now rising so we've had sort of like a full percentage point increase in fixed rates variable rates are starting to drift up as well before we get into the to the rba hiking rates so the market is market growth is slowing it's not falling mm. yet we're not seeing anything like that and it'll probably plateau, and and maybe if we see some some strong rate hikes later in the year, then that might that might take that might knock the the markets on the head a, a bit because they have overrun potentially quite a lot. Like it's been been pretty phenomenal growth. Is there anything we can learn from the share market and what's happening there 
to apply to the housing market or is, are they just totally separate sort of asset classes and and therefore you can't you can't take what's happening in the share market now and and extrapolate that into the housing market they're very different markets because the liquidity is so different so you know the liquidity on houses it's a slow very slow asset class compared to stocks stocks trade very quickly high volumes um, you get big you know sell a lot quickly you get short holds the, the housing market it's you don't the transaction there's a lot of transaction costs involved you don't you don't have high volumes of transactions that often um, yeah so it's, it's a bit hard to say but to the extent that that both mar- both bull runs in in both markets were driven by super cheap money, then you could expect the shakeout that we're seeing in the share market to translate into a bit of a shakeout in in the housing market. But it's it's also interesting in the sense that there's there's not a consensus around why share markets are wobbly right now. Right. There's there's sort of three views. So there's like the Goldman Sachs view is that. Yep, it's a bit of a wobble. A little, maybe we're blowing off a bit of froth, but it'll it'll sort itself out. Rate hikes will sort of. It's just a normalisation of things, and the underlying economy is strong. Um, it's it's going to be all right. And they say we remain pro risk in our asset, asset allocation this year, and recommend overweights in equities and commodities. That's that's pretty broad. Obviously, you might have to subscribe <laughs> to get the detail about what. <laughs> What equities? Can I have overweight? three three commodities, please? <laughs> and yeah, side of equities. <laughs> so that so that's one view in the market. So it's like, yep, there's a bit of froth to blow off. A little, people are worried. Like it's just a people have people have been sort of a bit whiplashed by the pace of change. So we, we've gone very quickly from easy money to tightening money. The mm. monetary cycle has turned very quickly and much more quickly than people expected, and that's caused markets to freak out a bit. But once they digest all of that, it'll be okay. So that's so that's one view. That's sort of like maybe the Goldilocks kind of view. The second view is I, I'm really enjoying it, uh, Morgan Stanley's. They they're talking about oh, classic. Yeah, <laughs> they're talking about fire and ice. So saying that there's two there's two challenges for the economy and and the share market this year. There's fire and there's ice. Fire is the rate hikes and the and the tightening cycle, and that's gonna that's gonna knock the wind out of markets because. The, the massive run in run up in equities we saw in 2020 and 2021 that was all driven on the premise of super cheap money and and massive stimulus spending and now that's starting to unwind is just a natural consequence that the valuations will will fall as well so that's the fire but then they're talking about what happens after that is ice and saying that there's all there's a lot of troubles in in the underlying economy when you look at it particularly once you start taking away the stimulus stimulus spending that you've seen, this is particularly in the in the U.S. economy, and they look at retail sales. Retail sales were down three percent in December versus expectations of zero, of no change, and so that's much weaker than expected. Consumers seem to be tapping credit, so they're not as flush with cash as as we might have thought they were. There's still a lot of dislocations coming through. You're going to get sort of stagflation coming in with high inflation and and enduring supply side shocks. And so you're going to get fire and then you're going to get ice and you're going to end up with a bit of a recession. And they don't think that you're going to see a lot, the, the Fed be able to execute all of their rate hike agenda because the market's just going to crash before they do that and you're going to end up in a recession. Right. So you've got an inflationary shock in the first half of the year followed by a recessionary shock in the second half of the year. And they see trouble for markets all through 2022. I can't believe fire and ice were both bad. That's like... <laughs> 
<laughs> when you told me like Morgan Stanley got subscribing to the fire and ice idea, and you start talking about fire, and there's like it was like a a bushfire spreading through the markets and and burning everything in its path. Mm. I was expecting ice was going to be like, but don't worry, because they're also predicting that maybe <laughs> ice will come in and just kind of chill everything out a bit. <laughs> but then you came in with ice is also bad, <laughs> mm. <laughs> and like. So now we're screwed whichever way we go. Right, and so what's the third view? Well, the third view is the Jeremy Grantham view. So Jeremy, Jeremy Grantham at GMO, he's a, he's a famous Burmese pear, uh, perma bear. He's constant, <laughs> constantly calling bubbles. You, well, you're trying to get the rhyming slang for bear, yeah, aren't you? And it's, it's not... Burmese pear is never catching on. I'll yeah, give you the strong tip. Burmese pear, perma bear. It's, kind of, it's my, my plan for 2022, launch rhyming <laughs> slang of financial markets. Big goals. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he, so he, but he, anyway, he's 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 famous for calling bubbles, and he does it every four or five years. But he has called um, some bubbles successfully: Japan in 1989, um, US in 2000, and I think US in 89 as well. So yeah, so he does have runs on the board, and he's also a, a massively successful fund manager. Um, but he reckons that we're now in super bubble territory. So it's gone from bu- from bubble to super bubble, and it's on for young and old. He reckons that uh, super bubbles always correct in history. You go through or back, you know, 200 years, every super bubble has corrected back to trend. Uh, the checklist for a super bubble running through its phases is now complete and the wild rumpus can begin at any time. <laughs> oh, nice where the wild things are reference. Yeah, I like I know. It. That's cute, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, they're, so they're the three narratives that seem to be going doing the rounds one it's 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 yes there's a bit there's it's wobbly right now but it's going to be okay two is that there are serious challenges and it's going to be a bit of a rough year and then three it's it's all coming down it's all crashing down around us that seems to be the 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 three narratives that i'm reading i guess the notable absence there is that it's going to be a boom year for markets I'm not. I'm not seeing anyone saying that. But you'd look a bit silly in the middle of a crash talking about being being a boom year for markets. So maybe once things settle down, we might hear more of those voices. But for the moment, yeah, that seems to be where that where how markets are interpreting things. Right. Well, you never know. Maybe we'll all wake up tomorrow and our supper will still be waiting for us. I'll, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Still warm uh, for anyone who has read where the wild things are. All right, Thomas, we're going to narrow the focus a little bit and look at West Farmers. They put out a trading update in the wake of COVID, and they've been helped by being huge. Mm. Can you explain maybe for the listeners out there why that might be beneficial? Yeah, yeah. So they they got a market cap of sixty one billion. So they're they're big. Yep. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but they've got a conglomerate model going for them. So Wes Farmers includes a retail arm, Kmart, Target, Catch Group, and Office Works. Yeah, didn't do well. Haven't done well over the yeah. You should say like the revenue for those guys is down, but that's being offset by strong performances from Bunnings and West Farmers Chemicals Energy and the fertilizer businesses that they own. So it's it's sort of it sort of says it's a good. It's kind of what you want a conglomerate model to do. It's that you have enough moving parts that when some aren't doing well, the others are doing well, and you, you, you yeah, you net net everything out. Can we infer anything like so? Kmart and Target were down, mm. but Bunnings and fertilizer groups were killing it. Mm. Can we infer anything from this about the attitudes of men and women to COVID? 
Like women may be much more cautious, kind of time to hunker down, look after the nest, take care of the family. Certainly no time for like frivolous homewares. And men are just like, ah, oh, man, the lawn's looking a bit stressed. <laughs> Back in 20, just stuck in a bunny to get some fertilizer. Yeah, I said, man, I don't know. We'll have to ask My that. lawn has suffered through COVID as much as anyone. No, I don't. I don't know if there's a gender dimension to these results. <laughs> the, the the CEO didn't really mention that in the call. Just throw another throw another lens mm. over it. That's all. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so people, you know, there has been a bit of criticism of West Farmers in the past saying, like, the, the you know, there's no natural synergy between Kmart and the energy and fertilizer businesses. Mm. But this sort of this is sort of saying, well, this is what you want a conglomerate to do, protect your earnings in, 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 in volatile times. Um, so sort of a vindication of that. But what, what's interesting, I think, in the West Farmers results is the light that it shines on the economy. So Kmart... And Target have been smashed. It is there's you know they did close sixty two Target stores, so there's a bit of that going on. But looking through that, yes, yeah, and like the 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 retail arms are going to deliver earnings before tax of about one hundred and seventy and hundred and eighty billion for the first half of the financial year, and that's down from over four hundred and eighty million. So so I'm talking millions, hundred and seventy million. That's down from over four hundred almost four hundred and ninety million in the year earlier. So that's almost a third of of what they were earning in 2021. So they yeah they're getting they're getting smashed around. But you could see it you could see it in like the the Boxing Day sales. Like we grew up with crowds outside oh, department yeah. stores. You know, like Boxing Day rolled around and there was like you you couldn't see the end of the crowd waiting for the doors to open and people would pour in. This year it was just like one lady out the front of David Jones. <laughs> Doors flung open. And she's just like, oh, can I use the toilet? I think it just summed up how we all feel, feel as a nation limping into this, into this new year. Yeah. yeah. Lockdowns really uh, influenced their foot traffic, which was way down. That was the one big thing. So the three big things, that was the first. The second was rising costs. So inflation was getting to them, um, especially their freight costs. That was really messing their, their business group around. And then the third was difficulty managing their inventories because they, they had huge absenteeism in their shipping departments. So they couldn't, you didn't have enough workers to send stock to the shops. And so, and absenteeism at the shops because so many of their staff were off sick. Um, they had to reduce trading hours. Even, even if people were out shopping, which they weren't, they had to reduce shopping hours because they just didn't have the staff. Which I, and I think that's a pretty typical. You're hearing a lot of anecdotal evidence of that that, that a lot of firms are struggling to keep to stay open, particularly in the retail space, because they're just have just having trouble finding workers. All right, we might take a break there. Don't forget, you can always send us an email, cve at equitymates.com, or head over to the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. And of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at CBE Podcast. But right now, we're going to take a short break, grab a word from our sponsor, and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. And Thomas, we left last year with China in a little bit of trouble. Evergrande was, uh, the, the collapse of Evergrande was talking about doing widespread destruction to the economy and, and economies around the world. Can you give us an update on where we're at now? Yeah, this is this is one thing that hasn't changed much since we've been away. So yeah, Evergrande is still in big trouble. So they owe three hundred billion dollars to the deposit. They are technically in default now, um, and trying to trying to work things out with their creditors. That's getting pretty messy. That's a difficult conversation <laughs> when you're three hundred billion in the hole. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm good for it, honestly. Yeah, it's three hundred billion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, no, it's not good. And yeah, and it's bringing down more and more developers. So the sort of the credit markets for the entire Chinese development sector seem to be frozen. Even good companies, mm. um, yeah, it's that they're, they're talking about Shimao Group had an investment grade rating in December. That's now started a fire sailing its assets. Um, joining a whole bunch of others now. So the whole sector's in trouble now. So it started with Evergrande um, and took in a couple of others, and now it's pretty much the whole sector, Look, you know, just can't get funding right now. Um, Goldman Sachs estimates that there was, in December, there was 6.3 billion US dollars worth of bonds uh, maturing in January. They reckon about 15% of those have been defaulted on. Wow. So is this, we, we talked about Evergrande's problems filtering through to the rest of the world's economies mm. is any of this you know cause for the downturn that we're seeing in the rest of the world or are they unrelated i think it's unrelated for the moment like i don't it's definitely not helping markets um but mm. i don't i don't think we're seeing any contagion yet but it's still early days like evergrand has a lot of overseas bondholders they'll be they'll be nervous what happens you know so once if evergrand evergrand does go into full default and gets wrapped up, then their creditors then need to, to manage their liabilities, which then so gets passed on back down the chain. Um, and that's when you might start to see contagion start to spread. But we're not seeing it yet. It's not it's not there yet. When would it happen though? Like if oh, I think once it's formally wound up, if it goes into the right. Chinese equivalent of receivership and gets an administrator appointed to sort of wind up the assets, you know, so then it would go to like a oak tree capital or whatever and say, okay. Evergrande owes you $160 million, we're suggesting you get five. So then, and, and if that's what they've got to swallow, then Oak Tree's got to go to their creditors or whoever gives them money and say, okay, we've just lost $155 million or something. Interesting mm. story that I saw is that um, auditors have, have been called in to help with, you know, so because the the foreign bondholders want auditors involved to sort of help restructure these debts, like if they're uh, you know companies are asking for the creditors to restructure debts or give them more time, 
the bondholders say, well, we want to get auditors involved. Auditors have got involved and then are quitting because they don't want, don't like what they're seeing. So Hobson, Hobson Development Holdings said its auditor Price Waterhouse Coopers has resigned because it didn't couldn't get enough information. Uh, China Aoyan Group uh, said Deloitte Tosh Tamatsu had also resigned as an auditor. So the auditors have started had a look and gone, yeah, you know what? I think I don't want to get involved in this, eh? <laughs> oh, just close that door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just slip away quietly. It's not it's just it's not for me. Yeah. I don't I see a little bit of what's going on in here. But is that is that these companies not being forthright and open with their with their books? And, and these the, so the auditors are kind of going, look, we can't you know, you have to show us the books. You can't <laughs> Oh, who knows? Yeah, man, who knows? Who knows what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what they're saying is the cause, but then, like, why are they not sharing that? What are the types? Like, it's politically sensitive as well because you got all the local governments and Beijing involved and all of this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tricky. It's tricky. The wild rumpus has started <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right it, over there. Right. Yeah. Did you see that story about, about Scott Morrison and his WeChat account? That's what I'm thinking about China. And he... <laughs> Scott Morrison had a had a an unofficial WeChat because you're not allowed as a as a foreign political person you can't have a WeChat account in China like it's not allowed so like he just kind of asks someone to start an account for him and then that person got bored of looking after Scott Morrison's WeChat account so he sold it <laughs> and Scomo's like we don't know a WeChat account. <laughs> It's just crickets from this guy's like I got rid of it. It was boring, and and so they've gone to WeChat. And WeChat's like, yeah, you know, you weren't allowed to have one in the first place. You can't just have a WeChat account that's registered to someone else and get around it that way. And so now there's this kind of uproar. So trouble. I think it was a sophisticated phishing attack on Scott Morrison, wasn't it? Someone pretending to be a Nigerian prince. Lastly, Thomas, and this is a story I cannot believe. But some billionaires have apparently said they would like to pay more tax. What's going on? Yeah, so at a, at a virtual World Economic Forum in Davos, which I guess wasn't actually in Davos, it was on the internet. Uh, Where's Davos? <laughs> I don't know why they're saying it's in Davos. Uh, Sweden, I think. Sweden or, Sw- or Switzerland. So the funny thing with World Economic Forums is they used to have them in Seattle and then Melbourne and then a bunch of other places, and then they kept being beset by protests. If you remember the the battle for Seattle in like '98 or '99 no. or something, I remember the grunge scene yeah. around that time it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's closely <laughs> connected. But, um, yeah, so anyway, so anyway, they said, "Well, we're a bit sick of being protested. Let's go to this virtual fortress in Davos, which is a ski village somewhere." So that's where the World Economic Forums met there for the last twenty years right. or something. It just sounds a lot like a, a a city that would exist in like Roman Roman Empire times. Like, should be like. I just imagine Davos being taken by like the 300 or whatever, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Davos exactly. has fallen. So it's a little, I just say, it's a little disappointing that it's in like a, such a nice country like Sweden, Sweden. and Davos. that it's virtual is even worse. It makes Sweden. it so, so much less interesting. Yeah. I think it was in Decentraland. <laughs> I think it was where it was hosted. Davos in Decentraland. Anyway, the, there's a group called the Patriotic Millionaires Group. Um, which had more than a hundred billionaires and millionaires. Uh, yeah, no, but they, they I said an open letter saying that um, 
we need to pay more tax. Millionaires and billionaires need to pay more tax. They say, as millionaires, we know that the current tax system is not fair. Most of us can say that while the whole world has gone through an immense amount of suffering in the last two years, we have actually seen our wealth rise during the pandemic. Yet few, if any of us, can honestly say that we pay our fair share in taxes. It's noble, isn't it? But it's, it just feels a little late. Yeah, after you've made your billions, it's kind of yeah. a bit easier to say. Like, what are they, sitting around at the country club? You know, Jones, <laughs> I think we could afford to pay more tax. <laughs> what gives you that idea, Winston? <laughs> like, it's just, it just feels so token. Like, yeah, it is a bit, it is a bit, I think. But also, I think it's, it's pretty clear that inequality has got a lot worse mm. since COVID happened. So Ox, Oxfam and the Patriotic Billionaires Group got together and did a study and found that the 10 richest individuals have seen their wealth rise by $1.5 trillion mm. since COVID started or by $15,000 a second. I read that and I was disgusted. $15,000. I did the maths. You'd be pleased to know. $15,000 a second is $900,000 per minute. It's $54 million an hour. $54 million an hour. So if you sleep on average eight hours a night, while they were asleep <laughs> in one night, <laughs> billionaires, the top 10, were earning a combined $432 million in one night's sleep. Yeah. I sometimes have right, trouble sleeping, which yeah. you know very well. <laughs> Worried about the stresses mm. of work and family and mortgages and whatever. Mm. I reckon I'd sleep pretty well if I knew I was going to wake up to $432 million <laughs> every day. Every day. That's the thing. It's not like they won the every lotto. Day. They didn't go to bed, every day buy a lotto years. ticket, go to bed. Oh, I hope I win. They wake up every day and they've made another $432 million. It's obscene. What was that stat I saw recently that you could mm. win Powerball, like $25 million every day for 200 <laughs> years, like win, win $25 million every day for 200 years and still not have as much wealth as Elon Musk? I know. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. I read another, I read another stat. I, I like to mainly focus on the sports pages. <laughs> but um, there was a guy, it's an NFL quarterback. I forget who it is. It might have been Patrick Mahomes, maybe. He just signed a deal uh, and... His new deal was equivalent to the entire net worth of Cristiano Ronaldo. Wow. <laughs> Which, Whoa. I don't know if you know Cristiano Ronaldo, and yeah. I don't know what his net worth is, but Google it, because it'll probably be somewhere around $432 million. <laughs> and so this guy has just signed a new deal to play American football, and he's going to be getting as much as Cristiano Ronaldo's worth wow. right now over his, the life of his contract. Mm. It's just, yeah. it's just crazy money that most of us can't even comprehend. And most of us can't even fathom how much the richest people in the world are, are kind of making. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, so right. then they come out, these people come out and say, I think we could pay more tax. Mm. And that should just be met with, surely, just people going, well, duh, obviously, yeah, yeah. you should. Yeah. Because they're also the ones who seem to be the best at avoiding tax. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, that's, and that's, that's what Oxfam reckons. If you had a 2% wealth tax for those with more than 5 million, rising to 5% wealth tax for billionaires, that could raise $2.5 trillion, enough to live, lift 2.3 billion people out of poverty and guarantee healthcare mm. and social protection for individuals in lower-income countries. Pretty significant. I mean, it's, it's yeah. an interesting one because Ray Dalio, who's the you know hedge fund guru, he's been, he's been 
he talks about the big challenges facing the West right now and inequality is always at the top of his list because he reckons that inequality always leads to political instability and right now inequality is getting worse and that gives you um, reactionaries on the far right and the far left. You get military strongmen come out of that inequality. You get democracies fail when, when they get too unequal um, and he's, mm. he sees that as one of the big risks facing the US economy right now. Um, oh man, I'm I'm thinking of taking to the streets at fifty four million dollars an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's reasonable. I think. I mean, I think there's a you know, if you wanted to stir up discontent, not that we've got the you know interest in doing that. We've got kids. We're busy. But <laughs> <laughs> the last thing we need is discontent, discontent on the streets. <laughs> well, more more discontent. Or discontent at home. Kids are never happy. They're complaining all the time. Last thing I need is to escape that. Go outside and find discontent on the streets. Maybe just give give your kids some Molotov cocktails and take them take them downtown. <laughs> <laughs> but you be, look, if you look at busy. what the the COVID response is. You know, it has. The wealthy have got a lot wealthier. That sort of seems to be the, the nature of crises responses. But even JobKeeper in Australia, there was some pretty egregious rorting of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even had, I think, Jennifer Westacott as the head of the Australian Ch- Council Chamber of Commerce and Industry. She sort of came out and said, like, oh, guys, like, it's not really okay to be pocketing JobKeeper and then giving yourself big bonuses, which a lot of people were doing. But yeah, if you you know if you're a frontline health worker, <laughs> then coming out and saying, I think we could pay more tax. <laughs> yeah. we, had a, <laughs> we had a bit of a windfall from uh, the government, who used all of the taxpayers' money <laughs> to give us some extras that we didn't need. So we pocketed that, and now that we took all the taxpayers' money, I've got a. I think we could do the right thing and pay a little bit more mm. tax. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, All right. On that positive note, I think we might leave it there. Um, Thank you for joining us. It's going to be a massive year here on Comedian versus Economist in 2022. Um, Lots, lots more to come your way, including we're actually going to be teaming up with the ASX this year, which is really exciting. Uh, And help going. We're going to be running a share market trading game uh, in partnership with the ASX. So we can't wait for that. Stay tuned for more details to follow, including a special episode we're going to do with Bryce and Alec from Equity Mates as we uh, as we launch that. So stick around for that one. Also, don't forget to check out all the other great podcasts from the Equity Mates Network, Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're in Good Company, Talk Money to Me, Crypto Curious, lots to, uh, lots to listen to. Everyone's coming back from holidays. There's definitely a good vibe going on. So uh, hopefully we can bring you some good vibes. We thank you again for tuning in and look forward to speaking to you next time on Comedian versus Economist. Bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 